this special edition of Monaco's House View, we look back at some of the year's best episodes on the stack. On this episode, Monaco's editor-in-chief, Tyler Brulé, sits down with Mario Garcia to discuss the story, the legendary newspaper designer's book about the future of newsrooms and newspapers. Hello, I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. This week we have a special edition of The Stack, recorded in our studios at Dufourstrasse in Zurich. Monaco's editor-in-chief, Tyler Brulé, welcomed our guest of honor, Mario Garcia, the legendary newspaper designer who discussed his latest book, The Story, about the future of newsrooms and newspapers. Let's have a listen. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I wanted to welcome Mario, someone we've known for a very long time. I think all of you are probably here for a reason because uh, you're familiar with what this gentleman has done. There's probably not a newspaper or magazine that you've come in contact with, at least a title of record, that he has not contributed to the design, the editorial pace and rhythm of what needs to, uh, to be delivered, and obviously started in the world of print, but is now a bit of a doctor of the great digital transformation that, of course, is upon so many of us, not, of course, just in the world of journalism, uh, but no matter uh, where we are. So, Mary, uh, welcome, and uh, a lovely to have you be in, here again. in Zurich. I wanted to start, though. Um, this, If you look at this, it's, uh, it's volume two. It's storytelling. Everyone wants to tell a story these days. That's not necessarily new. But just give us the idea of, of the pitch. I mean, you're, you're working on the printed page, on the backlit screen all the time. What story did you want to tell with this? Well, uh, first of all, the reason I call it the story, and I had to sort of fight the publisher a little bit, is because I've been in this business 47 years. Usually a book about mobile storytelling and so on shouldn't be written by a 72-year-old, but age is not an issue, right? So I insisted the one thing that has not changed in the 47 years I have been in this business is that if you have a good story, people will follow you. Whatever the platform, people will follow you. And then, obviously, a couple of things that nobody knows, but I will tell you, I obviously designed the cover with my art directors to use this old English, because when we think newspapers, we think usually a printed newspaper, the brand that we relate newspapers to is usually the printed newspaper we were reading as a child or that the parents or the grandparents used to bring home or that we still read today. So I did that. The Oxford rule that we have here is basically an inside joke because when I redesigned the Wall Street Journal, these rules have been there since the beginning of time. And I remember someone telling me, whatever you do, these rules have to be there. And so those who know the story, when I put it here, like the publisher says, why do we have this rule in here? Well, everything in here has a story behind it. That's what it's all about. And so this is a trilogy. So this is the second book, is the heart of the trilogy, is storytelling. The first book is transformation, which is key. People are afraid of change. I can tell you that. Writers, journalists love a story about change a new discovery, a new drug, whatever, they are the last to join change. I can tell you that because I've lived through five revolutions. I began when there was hot type. That's how old I am. And so it was the Miami Herald. It was the 1960s, only for three months. But there was hot type. And the magic of hot type, you could smell, you could see how the, the pages were set. 
it was difficult to get those editors to go to call type. It was like, you know, why are we doing this? And then I lived through the revolution of black and white to color. Another big step for newspapers. I colorized hundreds of newspapers, including the Wall Street Journal, and in Germany, the Zeit, which was like painting the Sistine Chapel, I mean, basically. <laughs> but I mention in the book that of all five revolutions that I have lived through, then came the internet and all of that, this is the most impactful revolution because it affects journalism, the heart of journalism. When you put color into a newspaper, the stories were written the same. If you went from cold type to hot type, it was a technical issue. This, and that's why I'm a man on a mission. I have told Tyler about this. I did not need to write another book at my age, you know, but I really am a man on a mission. We need to realize that many people are consuming information across platforms. The way you put information in one platform, the way you write the story for print, which we still do, and we should, and we will, is not the way you write the story for mobile. Two different things. But yet, I would dare say 75% of all the newsrooms in the world produce content either for print or if they're digitally minded for a laptop consumption, which is square like a page, and yet, 80% of the people might read that story at one point or another on the very small platform. The way you write, you edit, and you design for the smallest platform, the smallest canvas of them all, is different. And once you accept that, that one size doesn't fit all, then life is better, your audience is going to be happier, and then you do what I call print happily, which many newspapers do. You don't break news in print, but you can do wonderful things in print. Tell, tell us a bit about this, this notion of, of happily. I mean, how many newsrooms have arrived in this place now where you know, there was this sort of unilateralism, we were only going to be digital, digital, digital first, digital only. What is this happy medium now, and how many newspapers have maybe found that happy place? There is room for print. There's room to do podcasts. Of course, you want to be sort of you know, mobile and digital first. But I'm wondering, where is the settle down, Mario? Well, first of all, a therapy session. You know, you need a teddy bear. You know, and you need to tell these editors, print is going to be around, but it's not going to be the protagonist. And the houses where this has happened, like the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Guardian, you have wonderful examples of print. To do print happily, and I cover this with my students at Columbia University, is to give print its place. You cannot compete with print in terms of displaying photos. You will never be able to display a photo here the way you can do in a double page. So go for big photos. Don't use a lot of two-column little headshots on the print edition. Go big. When I do the print design for my projects now, I said start every page with one big explosive photo because that is the advantage of print, first of all. Second, don't do columns of briefs. That is so 15 minutes ago around the world, around the nation. People don't come to print to read snippets because they do that all day here. Print is for longer pieces, you know. One story per page, wonderful. And of course, there will always be someone in the room who says, but in your 1978 book, you said that there should be a lot of points of entry. But that was 1978. Get over it, you know. We're not in 1978 anymore. And so there, the papers that do it well 
also when they conceptualize the stories, they conceptualize the stories across the platforms. Case in point, if you read the New York Times, which I think is the New York Times and the Washington Post is where this has happened more systematically, they have made it a point to give print a place. And if they are planning a story, the conceptualizing begins here. You go from small to big, not from big to small, okay? And so the idea is when they're conceptualizing, they're saying, how will this play on the phone? Okay, landscape images don't do very well here. So if you're the art director sitting in that first meeting, you say, whatever we do, let's get some vertical images. But the landscape photo will surprise everybody in the print edition. It doesn't have to be the same. Three weeks ago, there was a huge, beautiful Sunday piece in the New York Times about the Paris Opera. And you open this two-page spread, and you see these glorious photos. Well, 6 o'clock in the morning, I'm probably the only person in New York who immediately says, how would they do this on the phone? And I turn to my phone, and of course, doing print happily means that the large photo of the main chandelier that was six columns across was not the main event on the phone. On the phone, it was a curtain with a candle that will flicker behind the curtain because here you can have motion, appeal to the senses. But there, you can have the big photo. That's what I'm talking about. The planning of that story was conceptualized. This is what we do here. This is what we do there. The writing. The writing here is exactly the way children's books have been written from the beginning of time. Little Red Riding Hood walked into the forest. Bah, there she is. Suddenly there was a big wolf. There is the wolf. No children's story ever had a photo gallery at the end of the story. So you read and you see, because that is the strategy for print. In print, you see all the images and then you read. So children had a right. Once I realized that, I confess that I went into the 1926 edition of Winnie the Pooh and those images are like Instagrams. You have Winnie the Pooh sitting on a log, nine lines of type. Then you go on to the next page. Children would not put up with a narrative and then all the photos together. If I were to take your phones right now and follow your latest WhatsApp conversation, it would be, well, here we are at Monaco. Did you see how cozy and nice that is? Picture. And then we enter into this room. Here's a peanut gallery. Picture. Nobody would write a narrative and then have 25 photos at the end. But we do this. We do this because we are conditioned to prepare material for print where that's the way you do it. You look at clusters of photos and then you decide, I want to read the story. Here is you write and you show. And it's linear. That's why when I do these workshops, I don't allow square paper in the room. Cut the paper in half. If you're thinking square is print or it might be the screen of a laptop or a desktop. This is different, and you have four seconds to seduce me here. In four seconds, an average two-year-old knows I don't like it. I go on to the next. So you seduce with motion, with a headline, and that's all that I have explained here, basically based on two and a half years of studying the phone deeply and thoroughly. I need to keep you on mic a little bit, so just okay. stand over there, because we want to capture this. You can re-listen to the right. highlights come Saturday. I don't know if anyone's seen this, but this is something which Le Monde has put out, mm. and this is an incredible translation of a year out of the magazine. 
I mean, does it surprise you that we've entered this place, a French newspaper launches an English language magazine, celebration of great journalism? Is this sort of where we sort of end up today with all of the great publishers? Oh, absolutely. But what is this all about? Imagery. Last night, I had a, a copy of the, of the winter Monocle newspaper edition. Big photos. You know, you are emphasizing what you cannot do here. But if you're going to take those same stories here, what is the possibility for motion? What is the possibility for a GIF, for sound? That's why art directors, the new art directors, the ones we're training now, are more like visual storytellers. Because the other thing is here, we come to see and we want surprises. Here, we want familiarity. So the job of the art director of providing a visual surprise every day that's not. We want familiarity here so that we can move from one element to the other. But this is not surprising. This is greatly appreciated. Maybe it's the luxury of paper. Maybe it's the luxury of seeing. A 12-year-old looking at this will be mesmerized. And I think we need to do more mesmerizing in our print product, beginning on the front pages of newspapers. I had to fight with editors in my projects right now who insist that we should have eight or nine stories on page one of a newspaper. Well, when that page arrives tomorrow morning, a lot of these stories people know about. Why don't you take one invisible story? Monocle does a lot of those invisible stories, the ones that are basically discovered by somebody. It's not that you follow the ambulance or the fire truck and you found whatever you were going to find. It's really those stories, put them on page one. But first, you were asking me, how do you do print happily? It's the therapeutic moment when you say, we are not going to break news in the print product, but boy, we're going to showcase. I think that newspapers have to become large posters, and this is where you do mini posters. And once you get those dynamics in place, things like this happen. I mean, this, you cannot do this here. But... A visual storyteller would take the best of this, and there might be some videos that go with the photos or the making of. And then you hear, you see, that is basically what doing print happily. But nobody can substitute this. And Life magazine was doing this in the 1950s and in the 1940s. Okay, so I, one of my clients that I'm very proud of is Perry Match. Perry Match continues to have great success and their success is based on they will take uh, an obituary of a movie star and you will see 25 glorious pages, mostly. You already know the story. You know what this person died of, but what you see is great photos, double page photos, because they know that even though they have Snapchat and Instagram, you can't do that. You cannot take that Perry match to the phone. That's doing print happily. To mark the Stax partnership with German stationery brand Leuchtturm 9017, we're inviting friends of Monocle to talk about the unrivaled beauty of Denken mit der Hand, the German concept of using one's hand to write, understand, learn, see and think. Today we meet the ever-brilliant typographer, writer and designer Eric Spiekermann. Eric is a passionate advocate of print and paper, the analogue and doing things by hand. Here Eric explains the early childhood memories of printing presses that informed this passion. Every time I see this happening, 
that memory comes back. And I must have been about eight or nine or something, because I know where I lived until I was nine years old, that I was in this print shop, which was next door to us. And if anybody's ever seen, you know, letter press print, it's basically a bed of things, metal, wooden things that are just dirty. It just looks like a dirty piece of you know, construction. It's almost like, like Lego that's been buried in the ground for 200 years. You know, it's sort of wobbly, dirty stuff. And then the guy puts ink over it with a smudgy roller, and the ink's everywhere. It really is sticky and difficult to get rid of. And then he takes a white piece of paper, puts it on top of this mess, rolls this roller over it, which makes a sort of weird, squeegee noise, and then takes this white piece of paper up. I'm, I'm I'm doing this on the radio here with my fingertips. Picks it up ever so carefully, holds it up, and bingo, or eureka, there is type, I mean words that I can read, only in certain places where they're meant to be, and the rest is white. So from that dirty mess comes a white piece of innocent paper that has a message on it. And if that is not an awakening moment, I don't know what the hell is. And to this day, we had a group of Japanese in the studio recently. And you know how Japanese have this nice chesty ways of with aww and aww. This beautiful, even Japanese women seem to have this chesty expression. And there was 25 of them around the press. And one of them turned the handle and picked up this piece of paper. And they all in unison went, aww. And we all burst out laughing. It was so sweet. They were like children that seen... I don't know, you know, uh, some giant or some fairy tale for the first time in their lives. And it was just very sweet because that's the impression you get. You cannot possibly imagine that a messy piece of metal equipment could come up with something that we know is the beginning of civilization. You know, words on paper. Eric Speakerman. And we'll continue Eric's story, written on paper, of course, next week. The stack is brought to you by Leuchtturm 9 the finest German notebooks with just that little dash of colour. Mary, tell me, and this is not to make the people living in Bergen or Oslo or Gothenburg feel better, but what's happening or why has the message not gotten through to newsrooms in Chicago or Baltimore or San Francisco? What do you see when you cross the Atlantic? What's happening over here, which is not happening, yeah, Norm Perlstein over at the LA Times, maybe, or whatever the title may be. What's the divide and difference, maybe, between a European notion of creating an editorial narrative versus a North American one? I think that there is also the economic factor. A lot of these newsrooms are working with fewer people, okay? That's not the best excuse, but I would say that that is. Then, I think this will be going on for the next 10 years until many of these traditional editors who believe that the only way to tell a story is in a long narrative form, retire or go someplace else. You know, when people ask me, what do I do with an editor? We know we need to do this, but what do I do with an editor who refuses to change? I say, well, you promote him to vice president for community affairs and send him to another floor. You know, uh, this is one way to do it. But, you know, the Scandinavians are experimental. And in this world, you can experiment live. I mean, you have ideas for a linear story. You don't have to wait and press a button and launch something on a specific day. People who are into mobile thinking know that this is a constant work in progress. So they are more experimental than the Americans. And they see that the New York Times does it. But at the same time, when I was researching my book, I spent time at the New York Times. Print is still king there. You sit in the 4 o'clock meeting, and you see the importance of print. But 
print in terms of how will that story be covered? And sometimes the answer is we don't do it the same day as the digital story, but we will do a great piece analyzing this on Saturday. On Wednesday, you have a story about kindergartens in Harlem, and that's a live story with singing and this and that. But the bottom line is, could they be better? So there will be an analysis on the Saturday. This is very foreign for editors. Editors, as you know, is today. The story is today and tomorrow is another day. Stories have longer legs in the digital world. They can appear here in one way, they can appear. That's, you know, I, I use this, these terms, being Spanish, I, I use terms like, uh, we all know how to cook the big paella. Of course we do. We've been doing that all like the big story, the investigative report, the deadline. It's the same for television people, the six o'clock news, the 10 o'clock news, who waits for that? But you know, editions. In the digital world, you deal with tapas and the tigers are hungry and you give them tapas all day long, but you also cook the big paella. And that's what the ones who do print happily do. The big paella belongs in print. It belongs everywhere, but print is a great house for the big paella. The tapas is how you slice the story, you update the story. Sometimes the story is basically a photo with nine or 10 lines. And again, a lot of this, and I'm not saying it because I'm here, I've told a title of this all along, you find this in Monaco. Monaco gives you the big paellas, but you have a lot of little tapas, even in print. Uh, this is gonna probably come up as a question. When you spin the globe right now, who do you look to? You think, okay, that newsroom, and we've talked about, the, of course, the Scandinavians. Who's doing it right right now? If, if someone had to go out there, they had to do a benchmark tour with their team, would you take them to, to Frankfurt? Do they need to go to, to Munich? Do they maybe need to go to Bogota? Three or, three or four brands to, uh, who are doing it well. Okay, sometimes when I'm flying and I look out the window, I say the perfect newsroom would be this person from here, that person from there, and I create my own fantasy. Okay, in Germany, Süddeutsche Zeitung. Süddeutsche Zeitung is very experimental, especially on weekends, doing all types of stories that are well presented in print. And at the same time, big photos in print. Their Sunday paper is a delight. It matches some of what you'll see here. Three years ago, that paper wasn't like that. So you do that. In uh, Brazil, Fala de Sao Paulo, doing, they have done a series that is very mobile-driven about a, a, a world without barriers, without borders, which is a very timely subject. And they took you to five places where there are borders that keep people out, some of them within the same country. Peru has borders to keep Peruvians from moving from here to there. Fascinating, but done very well in print. To me, in order to fall into this category, you cannot just be good in mobile. Many do this, but neglect the others. You have to be good across the platforms. And let me tell you, right now, it's not even a choice. By 2025, you have to be multi-platform. You have to be able to have teams that work on this, teams that work on that, but all based on good storytelling. And the way you can tell stories here is fantastic. The way you can tell stories in print, also fantastic. Very few have come to terms with that. Again, Scandinavian is probably going to be my first choice. Most of the, and you know that, many of those papers are already doing this. And then the advertising departments, I mean, Things can move here, and you have static advertising here. If you think, I don't know if we have advertisers here, but if you think the newsrooms, the editors, are behind and sometimes fear of, fearful of change, 
the advertising departments are five years behind them. Okay, you have to shake them up because they still put banners in here and things that came from another era. You know, it's Yahoo 1991. <laughs> May have been a good year, but, but those practices don't apply. They fail to explore what you can do here with advertising messages. And again, in linear storytelling, advertising in the middle of the stories works, but not if it's static and people jump over it. Give me something that appeals to the senses. So as I keep saying, this is an industry in transition, and only about 25%, all of these makes perfect sense, only about 25% of the media houses in the world are up to the challenge, for whatever reason. You talked about this sort of pick and mix and creating the perfect newsroom environment. There's been a lot of discussion about also you know, the integrated newsroom and that you, know, you should be able to go do a podcast and then maybe you can even go and lay out your story and then you're able to write a 5,000 word feature. Is that a mistake to think that everyone in the newsroom, that technology will enable them to be also a great art director for their story? And do we have to be able to pick our battles? Can, you know, can big, everyone- Big mistake, Tyler. And the reason that in my class, there are no solo numbers, they work in teams it's because you have to work. You are not going to be an expert on video, on audio, on the investigative report, on appealing to the senses, on how people read here. And so there are no solo numbers anymore. If you are the writer, the way an art director works today, they are not even art directors, they are visual storytellers. You sit with a reporter and then you say, okay, this is, this is the visual asset we will use here. So it's a new role for them. And again, with my students, I do that. They always want to work for themselves. And one of the lessons is group dynamics. I mean, you put three of them together, even at Columbia University, which is a, an Ivy League school, and they will come in and tell you, professor, but I'm doing all the work and so and so it is. And I say, well, welcome to the world. This is exactly the way it is. In a group of three, there is the alpha who wants to save the world. There's the follower and there's the lazy. <laughs> Great lessons. And I think that that is something else that some people have trouble with in mm -hmm. newsrooms, working in teams. When I do the workshops in a newsroom, I always put them in groups of three. And I say, there should be a visual thinker, there should be a person who is a good editor, and there should be a person who understands technology. Because they, you know, that's the third leg of the table. You have to understand there is some technology that you have to understand if you're going to be a better journalist who deals in the digital world. Just like if you were a good print journalist, you understood a little bit about color theory, you know, and printing of, of color. All of that has always been a part. You have to be more interested in technology. You have to be uh, interested. And then, sadly enough, there are still editors who don't read their own information on digital devices. They only read the print edition. Well, you have to read all of them. So it's, it's a challenging world, but it's all doable. And I always say, if I, at my age, can transform myself and think like this, everybody else can, let me tell you. I mean, people, I, I romance a story. I don't romance necessarily print. I celebrate what is. I don't regret what was. That kind of nostalgia, I, I have a line in the book that says nostalgia is sweet, but the bubbles in champagne are even better. And I think that this is effervescent. This is like champagne. Go for it. 
Well, that's it for this week's show. My thanks, of course, to Tyler and Mario. Our show was edited by David Stevens and Nora Hall. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fb at monaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. And of course, you can always listen to it again at monaco.com, iTunes or Spotify. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me.